And I'm sharing this morning a word called rise and fall. And a text for today's word is from Luke chapter 2, verse 34. The words of Simeon the prophet when he came to see Mary and Joseph with the child Jesus in the temple at his dedication. This one is assigned for the fall and rise of many. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph had to bring Jesus to the temple at Jerusalem to be dedicated. And this time for dedication and purification was 40 days after the birth of a child, according to the Jewish law. And a man named Simeon was also in the temple, and he was there most days. But at this time, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that this was a special day because he had prayed that he would not die until he had seen Jesus, God's anointed king. The Holy Spirit prompted him to go to the temple that day and that answered Simeon's lifelong prayer, faithfully waiting and expecting the Messiah to come soon. And so when Mary and Joseph arrived to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, Simeon realised that his prayers had been answered and he greeted them both. And he took the child in his arms and he began praising God. Lord, he said, I have seen him as you promised me I would. I have seen the saviour you have given to the world. He is the light that will shine upon the nations and he will be the glory of your people Israel. Now I can die in peace. And that's in verse 29 in Luke chapter 2. Joseph and Mary just stood there marvelling at what was being said about Jesus. Now, meanwhile, around the same time as this, a group of highly esteemed wise men called Magi set out from Babylon in the east. Babylon was the first civilization in the east to study and interpret the movement of the stars and the planets. And that was going as far back as 700 BC. Babylon were into that kind of observation of the skies, of the heavens. And planets in those times were also referred to as stars and sometimes as wandering stars because they moved about. In fact, the word planet does mean to wander. And there were many such of these magi, astrologers and astronomers, who served the king in Babylon. And these men also knew the writings of the Jewish scrolls and they would have had knowledge of the prophecies concerning the Messiah and the predicted whereabouts of his birth. This is because the influence of the Jewish religion during the 70 years internment of Israel in Babylon, where there was a cross-assimilation of the culture of Babylon and the law of the Lord through the children of Israel, it affected the culture of Babylon enormously. And people held on to the words that were spoken through the prophets, through Daniel in those days. And there were many inspirational prophetic words and so this was passed on down to the people in Babylon that there would be this king. Now that's pretty faithful, isn't it? To being involved in something that would draw you into something that lived above the culture of this world. So they were called to do that, obviously, because here it is in the word of God. So these wise men would have also been studying any unusual or momentous activity of a night star in the heavens at that time. That bright star in the heavens, particularly bright star, 
was often interpreted by astrologers to be the sign of the birth of a great ruler. And by observing the charts, the charts of the heavens, and calculating the timing of the converging of two great planets, which shone as a bright star, brighter than usual, they were decided to track that great light that shone at the birth of Jesus. The Bible says they followed this great light to the region of the special birth. And they arrived at Jerusalem and they asked people about the birth of the new king of Israel and his whereabouts. They just took it for granted that this would be common knowledge now. Well, of course, it had been trumpeted by the, the shepherds and the word had got around. So there would have been a few people talking about it. But their presence in the city and the questions they were asking the local people came to the ears of the local ruler, Herod. Now, Herod was a local tribal king. He acted as an intermediary to Caesar. And he worked with the military leadership and the proconsuls around Jerusalem, in the region around Jerusalem. And he'd become agitated and threatened by the news of this supposed special child whose birth had been predicted. And he had heard that Israel had a record in their scriptures of such an event heralding the birth of a Messiah or a new king to rule over them. It was rumoured that this special child would begin a new kingdom in the earth. He didn't quite know what this meant, but he didn't want that sort of competition because he had his own dynasty to create, the Herods. So he urgently called for the Jewish priests and the leaders and he pressed them concerning the predicted time and place of the special birth. Certain scribes and teachers knew from the words of the prophet Micah in the scriptures about the region of the child's birth in Bethlehem. And that was in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Bethlehem Ephrata. And it said that a great star would appear at that time. So armed with this knowledge, Herod secretly summons the wise men to his palace. And he told them the whereabouts of the region where they might find news of the child. He asked them to come back and inform him of the child's exact location, telling them that he too wanted to worship this new king. But all he wanted to know was where to send his garrison of soldiers so that the child could be killed. After their meeting with Herod, the wise men followed the star which remained bright in the sky and they were guided to the house where Joseph and Mary and the child Jesus were still staying. When the men were invited to see the child, they went down on their knees and worshipped him and presented him with special and peculiar gifts which have a spiritual message for us today about the life that Jesus lived for us and gave for us in his time on the earth. So the wise men weren't there at the birth of Jesus. The Bible says that they came some time later and visited the child. So the three gifts were given to the baby Jesus. There was the gift of gold, which speaks to us of the nature of God on display in the life of Jesus that would also be at work in those who believe in his life living within them, a transformed life. There was frankincense, which speaks to us of sweet prayer and praise ascending from our hearts. There was myrrh, which speaks to us of the suffering of Jesus and how we share in that suffering in our lives, knowing that without yielding to that kind of suffering, there is no spiritual growth. 
we're able to give thanks in all things and know the closeness of the Lord. That's what Jesus brought to us, the fellowship of his suffering, where he becomes our strength and our comfort, deep on the inside, God with us. Now, to go on with the history of the story, Herod died soon after this, and Gabriel spoke to Joseph in another dream that it was now safe to leave Egypt, fulfilling another prophecy which was spoken through Hosea, in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, Out of Egypt I called my son. Joseph then learned that this son of Herod, who now ruled in his father's place, was as treacherous and as murderous as his father. And he was afraid to go back into the area. But Gabriel appeared to Joseph again in a dream and told him to go to a quiet lakeside village in Galilee where they would be safe. So they came and settled in a city called Nazareth. And yet another prophecy was fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. You read that in Matthew chapter 2, 23. So they settled there as a family for many years where Jesus grew from a child into an adult. The Bible tells us of the growth of the life of Jesus into wisdom and maturity and grace. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, about Jesus. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. These three qualities, wisdom, stature, and favour with God and man, they're the characteristics of the life of Jesus, and they mark the way of life that shaped his pathway through life. They're imparted to us as virtues to be honoured and believed in and taken up by our faith in his life that dwells within us. That's our way forward in life. Wisdom is not just knowledge. It's the way that the knowledge harmonises with that good intention of the will to serve the highest good for the most people. That brings forth the wisdom from heaven, from above. Stature is the nobility of character that is formed by consistent acts of wisdom. Favour is the acceptance and approval that comes forth to meet the one of wisdom and stature and to give them passage or right of way. Come on through, open the door. It's the gift of grace. I'll help you along your way. So Jesus had that wisdom, that stature, and the favour, the grace. Now there was a further prophecy that Simeon spoke over Jesus at the time of his circumcision in the temple. And I read that right at the beginning. And it goes like this. This one is a sign for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and as a sign that will be opposed and denied by multitudes in all the earth so that the thoughts of the hearts might be revealed. This prophecy declares Jesus as being the one whose life is a sign and symbol of the way of life and truth for each one of us to follow. This way of life will reveal the thoughts and intentions of each of our hearts as we're challenged by it. And those thoughts will be revealed as by being those who will grow because they receive and follow that way of life, or it will reveal the hearts of those that oppose and reject 
that way of life. For the one whose heart receives and follows, their life will rise into unity with God. Simeon was speaking about this one will cause or bring about the rise and the fall of many. For the one whose heart opposes and denies these ways, their life falls into alienation from the life of God. But God has ways to redeem by shining a light into their hearts. And we're going to just have a look at how that can happen. See, our past is usually a mixture of rises and falls. But God wants us to be a people that rise up into his likeness instead of falling into a downward spiral of wrong behaviour or bad habits. The non-virtue that damages our soul, every human soul. There is a way of faith that can get us from the downward spiral of non-virtue into the upward rise of virtue. And God's power is in the midst of that. But as far as our brain is concerned, and I just want to open up to you something about the fact that God speaks in Thessalonians of us being sanctified or set apart in body, soul and spirit. He works in every part of us. There's actually in our brain a neurological process that allows the formation of a bad habit, a non-virtue, to grow a life of its own. Repeating the wrong behaviour habitually forms a neural pathway that forms a tiny cellular arrangement of cells that seats itself at a junction deep down in the brain. And over time, that place becomes a go-to place where that experience and sensation automatically fires up certain chemicals like dopamine and other hormone-derived chemicals like serotonin, they set up motivation and reward processes so that a person feels when they do their, their habit, this is going to work this time, I'm going to feel tremendous. But that harmful behaviour spirals down to hitting some kind of rock bottom in reality with the consequences of causing harm to ourselves and to others. We read in Ephesians 4 verse 22, and this is where Paul was able to tell us the process of what happens in our minds. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former bad behaviour. That's the non-virtue in your life. And that word is anastrophe. It means it draws you down and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That means delusional longings. You see, there's the bad habit, the go-to place. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So it's happening in the mind, but then the Holy Spirit comes in. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true virtue and holiness. But humanly speaking, when a person makes promises to themselves to cease the harmful behaviour, they say, oh, well, I can get out of this bad habit. And they don't like the consequences. I think I'd better do a little bit of self-help here and get myself out of this way of life. They find that the pathways are already formed. And the habit space has become a spiritual stronghold. It actually lives, waiting at the junction down there. It waits to hijack 
anything, any thought that wants to take our new anti-bad habit idea, and everybody gets these, this is the new year. It's called New Year's resolutions. And all the bad habits will be brought up in the human mind, I'm gonna kill this one off. You don't, it stays there. Because the new idea, and this is all automatic, it's called the autonomic nervous system or the automatic nervous system of the neurology of the brain. What that new idea wants to do it wants to sidetrack that old pathway and build a new pathway back up to the front of the brain where our brain is actually created to make right decisions. But that pathway's been blocked off by this bad habit. It just hijacks that. But they say, no, I'm going to beat it. But it's there opposing every time. That bad habit space is there to stay. That's where we need faith because the Holy Spirit helps us to be aware of that behaviour that alienates us from God and to bring it to the Lord for his grace to overcome it. The work of our faith is to create a more fulfilling virtue space created in the likeness of Jesus. And it's this point where we draw from the life of Jesus within us because of our faith. So that other old thing stays there, but something new and better gets formed, which becomes our new go-to place. Put off the old, get renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new which is created in true holiness in the image of God. You see, you can get used to running down the bunny trails of bad habits. And God says, no, I'm going to let you have a high way of holiness that I'm going to be with you as you create that. As you come to me, new pathways will be formed. You see, God does things in the body as well as the soul and in the spirit. Because we're created. Body, soul and spirit. We're a trinity. Now through what Jesus accomplished in his short journey on the earth, he was tempted in every point as we are. Those things were waiting to get him. But he had a highway that he was building with his father. He was the first one to build one of them because he was one spirit with the Father. And now we're of one spirit with him. And in his short journey on the earth, that bond of oneness, which is peace, it's the same word in the Greek, that's what he experienced with his heavenly Father. That is now, he knew he was doing this to make it available to all of us, to grow and mature in wisdom and stature, favour with God as sons and daughters in his family. Through the birth of this child, divine life had been embedded into human life. His life sacrificed, then risen to life again, then sent into humanity through the Holy Spirit. This had never happened before, this new form of life. God and man together, a new creation. And because of this new creation, a new flow of life between man and God can occur, whereby God transforms us. He gives us grace for our hearts to be subdued into desiring his will above our own will. Well, how about that? And that's not cheating. That's the grace of God. The scriptures speak forcefully of this transforming power. I'm reading three scriptures from Philippians. First, Philippians 1, 6. Remember 
This is the work of God, the work of grace. This is not just a self-help program to get rid of bad habits on New Year's Day. This is the transformation of a life for a, a new day forever. Philippians 1 verse 6, Be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's at work. That's faith. Philippians 2 verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good will. There's a new highway getting formed. Philippians 3 21, he will transform our lesser body, and that's up in here too, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now that is pretty powerful. That's on offer. It's not this struggle, got to overcome all this bad stuff. Thank you, Lord. I can see it. I own it. I'm sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Now let's go on this journey with you on the new highway that you're creating, body, soul, and spirit. You see, by coming before the Lord in quietness and confidence, with a faith-filled heart, and being present with him, we allow his grace to act upon us by the Holy Spirit to transform us into his likeness. And I would like us this year to embark on this journey of being present with the Lord. Not just reading about him, hearing sermons about him, but being with him and saying, thank you, you are building this highway. I'm being renewed in the spirit of my mind and as I sit here, I know that you've started this work and you're going to complete it. I know that it's, it's you that's working to help me to do your will and to even desire to do it. Body, soul and spirit. In the body, by those new pathways being formed, in the neurophysiology, in our brain, in the soul, because our surrendered will is subdued by his will, and in the spirit, because we are one in spirit with him. We rise above the values of this world into those of his kingdom above. Amen. And Happy New Year. Lord bless you all.